0: Hello and welcome to Sobercast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com. Look for the donate link and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Craig. Uh, first things first, thank you, Mel and Tamara, for your hospitality and your warm uh, welcome and invite to the for the meeting today and i apologize to everybody i wasn't able to get here a little earlier in fellowship and yep let me just change that to gallery view. get um and stay i got a work meeting on the front end and i got a working meeting on the back end so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to jump off as soon as we end here too but 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 thank you all for being here my uh sobriety date is november 28th 1998. Uh, my home group as was stated is the mighty purpose and rhythm group um, I have a sponsor and a service sponsor. Uh for those who are unfamiliar with service sponsorship, my experience with the service sponsor is someone who guides you through the uh 12 traditions and the 12 concepts, um, and you know, being involved in service inside and outside of the group. And I have the honor and privilege to uh sponsor and service sponsor. As you can see from the uh flyer, the topic tonight is steps four and five. Um, you know, before I can get anywhere near communicating about my experience with step four and five I, I do need to illustrate what got me here and and my alcoholism and the understanding that I suffer from a mental obsession and a physical craving and a spiritual hole in the soul or spiritual malady as some of us call it. I came into the rooms of A at 19. I was I was in probably 17 or 18 institutions. I was incarcerated, I was homeless, kicked out of multiple schools. Uh, in one case, I was thrown out of three treatment centers in one day, wrapped in a spider jacket, brought back. I had delirium tremens at the age of 17, hallucinations, suffered from panic attacks. Uh, just trying to quickly and promptly uh, own my seat here. And, and welcome to everybody that's counting days and raised their hand in the beginning. And the daily reflections today was was beautiful. Hold, hold your face to the light. You know when you when you can't see, just have the faith and the trust that we who have been here we who have recovered can see and, and do bring the hope and uh that was my experience with with sponsorship so anyways um just to illustrate my alcoholism uh, a story that that's not uh my 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 greatest experience but definitely illustrates my alcoholism is I was about sixteen years old, and my grandmother was in the hospital dying in my view this is a this is a the grandmother i I grew up in a family where you know, it was, it was the 80s, and I had a couple of people in my family who were um, gay. Back then, you, you said homosexual, but back then, you didn't even talk about it, right? Like, in the 80s, you didn't talk about homosexuality and HIV, and I had two uncles that were homosexual and had HIV, but we would talk about that before we would talk about alcoholism. Like, we just didn't talk about alcoholism. My, my grandmother, when she died, was yellow, but we didn't call it alcoholism, you know? We didn't call it cirrhosis of the liver. We called it diabetes. Um, the men in my family were dead in jail, locked up, emotionally unavailable. Most of the women suffered from the neuroses of alcoholism and that, that emptiness from having to chase down the alcoholic with the exception of, of my, my grandmother, as I mentioned, but again, to illustrate my alcoholism, uh, my grandmother was in the hospital dying and my mother, uh, called me up and I was living in Jersey at the time. I had a learner's permit. She said, you know, get in your car, turn the hazards on, get to the hospital, come see your grandmother. I loved my grandmother. Of course, I wanted to, to get to the hospital to see my grandmother, but I didn't make it because I needed to drink. And I thought I was a really bad person. Now, I grew up, I grew up in New York City and North Jersey, but I grew up wanting to feed the homeless and wanting to rescue animals. I grew up as a good person. Lots of chaos around me. I'm talking armed robberies, murders, like where I grew up, you know, bad place to live. Family, suffered from alcoholism, totally. But inside, I was a good person. And I cared about people, I cared about the world. I, you know, I slept in an apartment right across the river from the towers, like, again, the neighborhood was, was not the greatest, but I always wanted to do good, I always wanted to do better, I always wanted to help. I lost, I lost access to that as I started to become more and more obsessed with alcohol. Prior to my drinking at eight years old, I remember crossing the Brooklyn Bridge and begging, looking up to the sun, and begging, what 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 I would now say was my higher power. I didn't know that back then. I didn't understand that language. But begging the son to take, uh, my mother was driving to take this car and drive it off the bridge and and to to kill to kill her. Um, just to fill in the gaps here, my father was an alcoholic. He wasn't around. My grandfather was dead from alcoholism before I was born. The other grandfather was a New York City fireman, suffered from alcoholism. So I want to get to the topic of four and five, but just to give you the understanding that uh barren lands deserted you know warp lives blameless children everything that it says in our big book uh that's what i was experiencing firsthand so there was there was a little bit of fantasy when i wished that this car went over the bridge and killed my mom now my mom strange enough did everything for me she had holes in her clothes so i could have sneakers she wasn't a drinker she just tried to manage it all but i just i just wanted to get out i just wanted somebody to to rescue me. And, and, you know, I know it's not popular for a man to say that, but that's what I was thinking. That's what I was feeling at that age. Anyways, um, my alcoholism took me down quickly and promptly. And I have tons of stories about things and interactions that alcohol uh, and situations put me in. But the bottom line is when I ingested alcohol, I was already thinking about the seventh or eighth drink. And I couldn't tell you, couldn't tell you how many times I had one or two, but there was a couple of times when I had one or two, which feed the illness even more and fed the denial even more. Um, I obsessed about alcohol. When I came to AA, I didn't know what to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday, but that's all I did. When I got here, that's all I knew how to do was drink. I never had a legal drink. Everything, everything I was involved in revolved around a drink. I was a great pretender. You know, like I was in a gang when I was young, and, and I would make that my identity, right? But the truth is, and if you know anything about gangs, uh, you know, and where I'm from, you wear beads, and those beads don't come off for anything, unless they get ripped off, you get arrested, you know, fight, something like that. But I would take those beads off every night and hide them and go to the other side of Newark so I can hang out with a friend of mine from a rival gang so we could drink. So the illustration here isn't about how tough I am. The illustration is that alcohol owns me. Everything I did revolved around alcohol. And the rest was kind of pretend whether it was relationships, family, school, whatever. I was decent in sports, you know, you know, again, I'm not telling my story today, I'm doing four and five, but that's, that's what alcoholism was for me. I, I think I described that I, I belong here and I earned my seat here. Um, so I came to Alcoholics Anonymous to stay at 19. And, um, you know, my first home group was a young person's group and, and, you know, they let me make the coffee, even though I was homeless. And they were they were very smart. They didn't give me the keys. They kept the keys, but they met me there every week. And I made the coffee and I started participating. I got to know people. And then I got in touch with a men's meeting down the road. And, you know, the big book says we are people who would normally not mix. My 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 sponsor was a six foot five black guy an ex gangster from Dallas. His sponsor was a white racist from Pittsburgh named Jimmy. And these two guys sat together in a circle with their legs crossed and talked about how they used to hate each other just for how they looked. And they couldn't stop drinking. But here they are today in love with each other, and carrying the message of AA, and so then I got a sponsor, and I started to go through uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, so now we'll get, get to the topic, um, you know, it was so important to, to get to those first 43 pages, so I can understand my illness, because I knew when I got here, I was the alcoholic, I did, I understood that there was no more hope, I did, I understood that I couldn't stop drinking, like, there were so many times I wanted to stop, needed to stop, swore to God I wasn't going to stop, and my next thought was to drink, and then I drank again. I just didn't truly know my problem, though. Those pages described why I didn't show up for my grandmother. Those pages described why alcohol was more important than anything else. Those pages described the mental obsession and not having a choice, the hole in the soul, the, the, the spiritual malady, all of that stuff. It described it perfectly. And then, um, you know, I, I got into the second step, and we agnostics, and and getting connected with not just being willing to believe in a power greater than myself but as my sponsor said willing to believe that this power could restore me to sanity now it's very important to ask questions the greatest questions in aa are never asked there's a there's a whole bunch of them in the big book we never ask we don't ask our sponsor we don't ask our peers we don't ask our home group we don't ask ourselves more importantly but what does it mean sanity willing to believe and 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 that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity what does sanity mean I mean, does that mean I'm going to be a great father one day? Does that mean that I'm going to make a lot of money, have a nice car? You know, women are going to like me. No, it, it means with respects to the first drink. It means with respects to alcoholism. As we grow in Alcoholics Anonymous, in my experience, that gets broader and wider. Insanity takes on many forms. Believe me. Um, I'm not saying I'm not asking anyone to settle here. But for me, step two was just believing my alcoholism, this great, huge, big phenomenon that I lost every time to, and my alcoholism is two pronged, right? It's the big dude doing pushups outside, but it's also the little leprechaun that always convinces me of things, you know, or, or talks me out of them, or talks me into them. And uh, to be willing to believe, knowing that this phenomenon, alcohol, that there was a bigger phenomenon that could remove my problem, that was with the second step and being willing to believe. And willingness is an action word, so. Went through all that. Then I got on my hands and knees and I took a third step. Now, I, didn't, I, didn't, I barely hugged my mother. I told you I went to jail. And another illustration, of my alcoholism. My mother traveled three state lines to pick me up, stayed in a hotel where a guy was murdered, came to pick me up at the city hall. I walked out, not city hall, at the uh, courthouse. I walked out with my browns on still because the correctional officer stole my clothes. I walked right by my mother. This woman who just spent all that time and energy, who did everything for me, I walked right by her to go to the payphone, They had payphones at the time, if there's anybody young here. And, and I made a phone call to drink. So anyways, I, didn't, I, I barely even hugged my mother throughout most of my life. I was a good kid. I told you about that. But I lost access to that early on. I was stealing jello shots and beers from, from a young, young age. Alcohol took hold of me. Um, but here I am on my hands and knees with another man holding his hand, saying the third step prayer. And I really didn't understand thou wilt, if it, you know, all that language, like I didn't get, but what I understood was the, under, the, the idea of relieving me from the bondage of self. I knew what it was like to be angry all the time. I knew what it was like to not be able to stop drinking. And I definitely knew what it was like to be thinking about myself. I there was so many times I wanted to think about you or help you and I couldn't. I couldn't, I couldn't show up just once. I couldn't stay for just five minutes. I couldn't finish a project I started that I swore to you, I promised you I would do. Even though I had alcohol right there and I knew I could drink it while I did, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I took this third step and I got into the fourth and, and fifth step with my sponsor. And um I'm gonna go through some very specific instructions. Which are all outlined in the book. Nothing I've made up, but I'm going to tell you what, what my experience with them are. And, you know, it was it was important for me to read, you know, sixty-four uh, into into action because we're going through step five also, but but to understand what step four meant and to understand that we could face and be rid of things. So what what I did was I asked God for the resentment list. There's there's four different sections of the inventory in my experience. There's the resentment. Uh, The fear, the sexual conduct, and the harms done others. There's a couple of little projects in there, too, um, in my experience. Is there anything I'm willing, That is there anything I'm trying to take to the grave? And then there's also um, an ideals list. I'll I'll illustrate that in a minute. But as far as your resentment, I went home and I asked God, you guys said your own version, my words, of a set-aside prayer today before the meeting started. I said my own version of, um, you know, God, please show me where I'm angry. And I wrote down, without prejudice, whatever came to my mind, every person, principal, institution, or animal I was angry with. And I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. I even wrote down. I'll never forget the one resentment I had. This is literally how I wrote it down. Guy at grocery store who looked at me funny. Like, I put everything down. Like, and I remembered everything. And I was angry at bottled water. I was angry at the New York City school system. I was angry at my dog, who I loved. You know, all she had to do was eat and sleep. I wanted to eat and sleep. You know, how come I couldn't just eat and sleep? Like, I was angry at everything. And then, obviously, big things like my father not being there, alcoholism the family, why did my mother do this, da, da, da. Anyway, so I wrote down all of this anger, which I thought was where you get the relief, you know, because everybody always told you, the therapist always told you, oh, you just talk about it, everything will be okay. And, and that's not necessarily my, my experience with respect to um, uh, the resentment. So after I had all these names, then I went through the, through the instructions of the fourth step. So I then wrote down the cause, you know, why was I angry? Let's say, let's say it was my father. So I wrote down, you know, he abandoned me and he abused my mother. I had initially wrote a whole bunch of causes for many different people. And through experience with other AA members, including my sponsor, you know, it was explained to me that it was important to focus on not the entire event and not to list so many different things. The analogy that was given to me is if, if, if I had, a, if I had an ex-girlfriend that I was angry with and I wrote down, you know, she never called me back, but then I had all these lists of hated that dress, hated the way she put it with my friend. She's such a blank. Da, da, da. All the rest of that is garbage. The resentment is she didn't call me back. That's where the pride's hurt. That's where the fear is cropping up. That's where the bitterness is you know so just just my experience that's all I'm doing here today is sharing my experience so you know and then we had the third column which is the areas of self which you can find on 65 and 66 and the areas of self is uh the self esteem the pocketbook or the wallet personal ambition i mean i'm sorry personal relationships sexual relationships ambitions pride you know all all seven of them and pretty much for almost all resentments, I had those. And it's funny because as I was learning the fourth step and I was writing that stuff down, it's amazing. I don't even know how to describe to you, but I know you'll understand if you've done this. Like, again, like I thought the first column was released because, oh, I said it out loud. And then I thought the third column was released because these are all the things you affected in me. You affected my pride. You affected my relationships. I wasn't able to have sex with her. Like I thought, you know, it was all about me. It was all about me. But Those seven areas of self were to illustrate to me how every single thing I touch is about me. Everything I'm so entrenched in me and, and, and alcohol is but a symptom. Resentment is the number one offender. It kills more alcoholics than anything else, including alcohol. Resentment is the number one offender and self. My main, the main, main, main problem resides in my mind and I am selfish and self-centered. That is the root of my problem. So here are these areas of self that I'm writing out for each and every resentment. It's affecting my ambition, my money. You know, every, I, I realized how much things were attached. If I gave you a dollar, you owed me the world and you better give me a dollar 50 back. And you better tell everyone about what I gave you. Like I held grudges. I counted tabs. I mean, I spent so much energy trying to manage and control and the funny thing is, you learn later on in AA, it's, it's not about letting go of control. You never had control to begin with. The idea of control is a delusion in itself. So what I was instructed to do, based on the book and also guidance from others, is after I write these seven areas of self, to say the uh, resentment prayer on page 67, either as it's written or your own version of it. So here I am writing the cause. You know, I'm sorry. Writing, I'm mad at my dad. The cause of the dad, uh, of the anger. I'm writing down um, all the areas of self. And now, before I look at the fourth and fifth column, before I look at my selfishness, self-seeking, dishonest, and and frightened um, attitudes, actions, and behaviors, I'm saying the um, resentment prayer. God, please soften my heart, so I can see how I would behave like this person if I was in their shoes. A very important point that was pointed out to me, in case you're one of those AA members. Now, I was lucky enough that I wasn't an AA member that was really trying to go around and apologize to everyone. I'm not saying because I was smart. I just wasn't interested in it. But I know there's some of us that want to go apologize for everything before we, like, go through, you know, step nine's over here for a reason, right? But we want to go fix everything. There's a nice, interesting line on page 67 in the big book where, where it talks about we take a kindly and tolerant view because we might not be able we might not be able to to take care of this situation yet so we take a kindly and tolerant view that's the, that's the most effective way to be helpful right now and although i wasn't out looking for everyone to apologize to yet or make amends to yet that was important for me to hear because i understood i could be kind and tolerant or at least practice it so after i said the prayer and and looked at the fourth and fifth column and for me Again, a lot of people have their own interpretations of of what's written here, but as long as we're all connecting on what's written, to my experiences, the fourth column is selfishness, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened, and the fifth column is writing writing that out of what was selfish, what was self-seeking, what was dishonest, what was frightened. Um, And then my sixth step, which we're not talking about tonight, but that's separate, taking a list of those defects, looking at those and asking for the willingness to let go of those, but anyways, so, so I saw how all through my four-step, and if you know what a legal pad is, uh, eight, eight by 11, I guess, whatever, eight, eight and a half by 11 pad, I had four of those filled with resentment. Now, if you're new here, the greatest thing A ever gave me was to choose my own conception of a power greater than myself. And once somebody gave me that permission, that also meant I can experience these steps in my own light, not the way my sponsor wants me to, not the way the big book study tells me to, not the way I tell you to, but by yourself. But again, with, with an important caveat, we're all reading from the same literature, we're all discussing the same problem alcoholism, and the same solution to 12 steps, but we have our own experience. And I, I had the experience all through that fourth step with the anger of looking at selfishness, self seeking, dishonest, and frightened, controlling, manipulative, selfish, self seeking, dishonest over and over and over again, which was so important for me. So there was nothing more important in, in, in my life, but definitely my sobriety to see that stuff over and over again. in that repetition, a lot of those little phrases, you know, your mom tells you growing up, like repetition is important. Like, you know, you just shrug that stuff off, but it was so important for me to see that everything I did revolved around me. Even when I wanted to help somebody, even in those short lived moments where I thought I was still you know, doing good things. And even when I look back to when I was a kid, whether it was baseball or football or soccer, it was all about me. I'll, I'll never forget pretending I was hurt one day on the field. I was one of the better players on the team, and things didn't go the way I wanted to that day. And I pretended I was hurt because we weren't going to win the game, just so everybody can clap for me and they can take me off the field. It's like it's like it's incredible how self-absorbed I am. Um, so. That's what, that's what the uh, resentment portion is. And the relief comes in looking at my wrongs in those last columns. The relief comes in finding the patterns. It's not about confession. Now, I did talk with my sponsor and people, close-mouth friends that I trusted, and I did share with them some things that I never told anybody before because I thought that was important for me to get that off my chest. But that's not the – fourth step, in my opinion, and, and the fifth step is not confession. It's about finding patterns but it was important for me to be able to talk to someone and share some of those things that, that, that weighed me down very, very heavily. Um, You know, and, and so then we go to the fear inventory and I had some very specific instructions with the fear inventory. And again, I asked God to show me what I'm afraid of and whatever came to mind, I wrote it down and I was afraid of literally everything, everything. I was afraid of you liking me. I was afraid of you not liking me. I was afraid of getting a job. I was afraid of not getting a job. I was afraid of not having friends. I was afraid of having friends. I was afraid of staying sober. I was afraid of not staying sober and and I can keep going over and over literally for every fear and and that just illustrates the amount of control I wanted or thought I had or needed or whatever way you want to express it. but the most powerful thing for me now going through the fears i would I would put down you know let's just say you know afraid of getting a job and then it would put you know what causes this fear and you know, having to be responsible or, or having to show up to work every day, or, you know, having to commit to not drinking anymore, whatever, like this, you know, thinking in the early days, like that's my second column of the peer inventory. And, and, and my third column is, again, it's an inventory of looking, where am I setting the ball rolling? Where is self-reliance failing me? And through all of these, now I didn't have as many legal pads or fears as I did resentments, but I had at least one or two. And again, repetition, going through that third column over and over again and seeing how I'm trying to control, how I'm setting the ball rolling, how self-reliance is failing me, how I'm asking people for suggestions and I'm not listening to them. How I'm asking people for help and I'm literally arguing with them and saying, you know, screw you, I don't care, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, then why are you asking me, Craig? You know, <laughs> so, you know and that's what I was. And, and I always found myself in an impossible situation because I was the victim and the hero at the same time. Always. And I always tried to work the crowd, man. If I needed to be the worst, I was okay with that. If I needed to be the best, I was okay with that. And, you know, I lied. You know, I lied for control. And dishonesty and delusion are two different things to me. Delusion is me telling my probation officer I can drink again. Dishonesty dishonesty is, you know, having just stole something or or something of that sort, you know, and, and not telling the truth about it. Um so that's my third column of fear, but I love, I love the last column of the fear inventory where I got the most relief, and it's, it's a very simple prayer, and I'll, I'll give you an illustration just about speaking today. Whenever I have to, let me rephrase that, not have to, whenever, whenever I get the opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope, um, you know, I, I, I ask God to remove my fear of sounding good and to direct my attention to what you would have me be. And I believe God would have me be open and honest. And I got news for you. There isn't anyone in these same size squares, whether it's 100 days, 30 days, 100 years. If we share our experience, strength, and hope, that's the only ticket we have here. That's all we have. So I am extremely confident. If I say that fear fear prayer and I share the truth with you, I know you're going to get something out of it. I'm not cocky for saying that. I know that because if I was sitting in the square on mute right now and you were doing the same thing, I would get something out of it. That's what this inventory gave me. It gave me a new set of glasses. It gave me perspective. I started to understand what humility meant. You know, the fact it was a snapshot of the truth versus what I was trying to deliver or control. Anyways, that prayer, now I take everything literal. And that prayer was was very literal to me when I would ask God when I went through all these fears. God, please remove my fear of blank and direct my attention what you would have me be. It was a lot more snackable and digestible for me to consider what God would have me be versus what he would have me do. Now, if anybody wants to argue with me in the virtual parking lot another day or at the diner, like, I don't care if you prefer do. It's fine. I don't care. For me, be was so specific because I can be open. I could be loving. I could be proactive. For example, if I'm afraid of failing the test, then god please remove my fear of failing, you know, out of college and direct my attention what you would have me be. God would have me be proactive. God would have me be honest and ask for help. God would have me be responsible and study. Like I learned a lot of little simple basic things that didn't even cross my mind, you know? And and I don't know about you, but that's just that's just for me. Um so I did all that with the fear inventory and and, and I saw a lot of stuff and you know, then I went on to the to the sex uh, conduct inventory, and the bottom line with with my sexual inventory is like I just use people, and the truth is and i don't i 't want anybody to sob for me, but the truth is I had no clue and i'm i 'm not trying to spit blame on my family, but I had no teaching, I had nobody show me i 'm not even going to get into the dynamics of the things I saw from a young age until I got sober, even even the way they 're still operating in my family today because it doesn't matter. But I can assure you, I didn't, I, I didn't know I had no idea. Don't get me wrong. I knew what right and wrong was. I'm not saying I didn't know what right and wrong was. But I didn't know how to have a healthy relationship. I didn't know when you're be honest and not be honest, or when you're spilling the beans and you're not or on the first date, how much you should tell or what you shouldn't tell. So I took this attitude of, well, whatever, we'll just have sex and you'll be okay with it. I'll be okay with it. I'll be fine. But again, as much as I tried to be a tough guy, Immediately after sex, I was the one catching all the feelings. Again, I know men aren't supposed to say that cuz you know, we're so tough or whatever, but that was the reality. That was the reality of what would happen to me. So, but the point was I used people and I had to make a lot of amends for that. And I heard people in AA early on too. I never wanted to, but I did. But I owned up to it and I did connect. But but I look back and I feel so sad for that young person who is me because I know where my heart was, but I just wasn't capable which 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 illustrates even more of what alcoholism is, which illustrates even more what lack of power is. Because no matter how much I wanted to, I still didn't have the power to. And that's my experience in AA, the longer I'm sober. If I'm unable to do something, it's usually because I'm not asking for the power. Doing the inventory is great. Being prepared to make the amends is great. But if I'm not asking for the power, if I'm not plugging in, I'm in trouble. So anyways, after the sex inventory, we... um. We did uh, ideals of both uh, intimate relationships and friendships. And I was instructed to write a list of ideals that I wanted to grow towards. And it says right in the book to ask God to, you know, help Shane and uh, Shane, Jesus, help shape sound and sane ideals. And uh, that's what I did. But, But I wrote a list of ideals I can live up to. I didn't write a list of ideals that you need to be. I didn't write a list of things I wanted you know, the girl to look like or a list of things I wanted friends to behave like. I started to live up to these things. I started to ask for the power of these things. I started to change. And then I started to attract those same kind of people. And it's amazing when I look back and, and nobody was bad per se, but when I look back to my early days in AA and who I was around and what I was doing and what was going on, and then jump a little bit after taking this inventory and making amends and living up to ideals, it's amazing, the difference, and it's amazing how I complained that I couldn't find true friends, and I didn't know how to connect with people, but by going through these steps, it, it was automatic. And, and the connections I made and, and the freedom I experienced was, was incredible. The um, um, harms done other is pretty much me, just everything I didn't catch uh, through the resentment, the fear, and the sexual conduct, I'm pretty much just writing down harms that were done other than sexual unwilling to pay credit cards back, you know something I might've done at a treatment center. I mean, you name it. Um, we're not talking about the eight step now, but, but I listed every single harm, period. Had nothing to do with whether or not I was gonna make it, gonna be able to, I listed everything. And I'm so grateful I did because it gave me the map for the rest of my existence so I could be the best possible person in this world and carry the message and hopefully be an ambassador for the program. So I, uh, I went through all this inventory. And after I did this inventory, I made an appointment. And my sponsor, he spent 48 hours with me on my fifth step. It was, it was in separate spaces, uh, appointments. But he spent 48 hours with me and never complained. And that man has no idea how powerful that was for me, or maybe he does. Because of what that man does, and I'm not going to tell you how many people I sponsor, how many people I have sponsored. But I've, I've done that many, 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 many times over, and, and gladly, and I know I'm not the only one, because of what that man showed me. That man showed me more love, respect, and usefulness than any man in my family, than any uh, uh, friend prior to that time, than any paid therapist, social worker, probation officer. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you mostly about writing the four-step and sharing my fifth step, but I'm going to talk a little bit, too, from the from being a sponsor perspective. And I, I had moved from North Jersey uh, to the city of Danbury, Connecticut, and I was at a young person's group, and it was like one in the morning, and we were at the 24-hour Starbucks. And this kid came up to me, and he's like, Craig, I've been watching you for a while. I know you're new to the neighborhood, but I've been watching you, and I want what you have, and I've been sitting on this four-step. And I would like to I would like to share this with you and do a fist that with you. And I said, absolutely. And uh, you know, for whatever reason he didn't trust the sponsor, so we went over to the commuter lot and I listened to that man from one in the morning till six in the morning, and I had to be at work at 6:30 and I didn't blink an eye. And when I tell you it's the truth, I had more energy without sleep. I had more energy than I would have on a normal day because I understood what was happening. We read books and watch movies, and we talk about all these wonderful people in the world saving lives. We save lives in AA every day, every day, and and that's my experience. And 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 I'm not trying to get righteous. I'm just saying to know perspective, for me, is important because it also means I'm going to be responsible and show up. This isn't willy nilly. We like to throw around sometimes. Well, I can't get anyone drunk or I can't get them sober. And although I understand that in in its in its core statement, my experience is. It's not a pass to not be responsible. I still need to answer the phone. I still need to show up. I still need to take the time. I still need to share my experience. You know, and more importantly, I still need to be working with a sponsor. I still need to be talking about my defects and things that I need to work on so I can be of maximum use to the to the next. All of these fundamentals were learned in 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 the fourth and fifth step, the basis. Um listening listening to a fifth step for me and my experience as a sponsor. What I've learned after having done it more than a few times is a process that I do, which is very important, is, is we have everything written out. And this, this works on the virtual platform, too, because obviously I've taken many, many folks through, um, uh, you know, virtually and even back when, you know, before Zoom was cool, you know, I was doing Skype and teleconference call and stuff. But to, to look at what's there and dissect the direction we're going. Like, like in other words, like I said earlier, it's not just about confession, but to really take a look at the process and what the vision is and to connect all the dots and understand that this is the map for the next phase. Um, that's been something that's been very useful to me and, and also to me sharing with um, you know, the newcomers that I, that I work with. Um, after my first fish step, even though we had to take it to the grave session, I did hold a couple of things back and it it was so important. um, Excuse me. It was so important to uh, do that. You know how it talks about it into action, um, taking that hour, taking that quiet time. And here's what I did. A lot of the things I did in my first go around in all 12 steps were extremely tedious, fearless, thorough. I mean, exhausting almost my experience. So I had this four-step, and I went back through each and every one of those resentments, those fears, the sex conduct, the ideals, the harms done other, and I listed out all of the things. I I basically gave it another look, and I just dug deeper into the weeds. It it wasn't beating myself with the bat. It was just really trying to understand the process of alcoholism and where it brought me. I mean, practically, it was easy to tell you what my four step was. I was angry at everyone. I was afraid of everything. I wanted to have sex with everyone and I hurt everyone. That was my four step. But it's the process that matters. And I was not somebody who cared about processes. I just wanted to hurry up, hurry up, get it done, let's get it out. And I learned that the process was so important to go through each and every one of these things, to have this information to go to the next portion of, you know, the step, the communication with my sponsor, you name it. Um, so I called my sponsor back up and and I said, look, I'm not really sure what guilt is anymore because of, you know, all the teachings I had as a kid. I just know it doesn't feel right that I'm holding this stuff from you. And he said, well, you're holding it from me, you know, because you need to tell a lawyer or you're holding it from me because you were afraid. So. And I said, no, it's just pretty small now that I think about it, but but I want to share it with you. And I kept it back from you on purpose. And what was crazy of all the things I did in my life and, and. You know, there was some dark things there. The one thing, there was a couple of things, but the one big thing that bothered me so much, because it challenged my identity, it challenged who I pretend to be, it challenged that tough guy gangster, was this one time when I moved from the city to the suburbs and I backed down from a fight. I can tell you, I can tell you it open and free today, but that thing owned me. I did not want to tell another man that, because I thought I was like just such a chump. But by doing that, I also learned what it was like to be human. I also learned what it, because I also thought of myself either as the worst in the world or Superman. Now, whether you're tough or not, when there's 13 kids around you and they're all threatening you, if you lay a hand on their friend, when you fight, they're going to jump you. It's smart. It's reasonable to walk away because otherwise you're going to get, you know, but, but in my head, because I was so tough and I always need to be the best, like that thing, that thing, I carried that with me for years. And I couldn't believe that small potatoes is what I was willing to risk my sobriety over. And it's funny because if you look at the big book, uh, Bill never tells you the second reason. He he tells you we're going to talk about some reasons why the fifth step is important. But he never tells you a second reason. He goes, the first reason, if we skip, we might get drunk. Then he never tells you anything else. And that's the bottom line. If we skip this vital step, we might get drunk. And I didn't want to get drunk. I was done. You know, I, I was done. I knew what it was like. And, and I, I didn't want to go back there. Um, so today, I hope, I hope I'm always growing. I hope whatever experience I had with my fourth step, whatever experience I had with my fifth step, and now I sponsor. I, I, hope, I, I hope I take things from my sponsor that work really well, and I use them, and things that I learned in my 10 and eleven step, and things that I learned from even my sponsees I use. In my experience, if I'm just rigid and I'm doing things exactly the same way, I'm not growing. That's just my experience. Now, listen, my my big book looks like a bag of Skittles with the three colors. And and that all stays the same. I get it. And the instructions in the big book are all the same. I'm not I'm not suggesting that we modify the program. I'm just I'm talking more along the lines. If you end up sponsoring someone with a brain injury, you're going to have to modify the way you facilitate sponsorship. Uh, That's my experience anyway. If you sponsor someone who speaks a different language than you, you're going to have to modify. The way you 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 are used to connecting or the way your sponsor connects with you, you have someone that can't read or write. I mean I could go on and on. And these are all real experiences I've had, and they've humbled me, and they've connected to me they've they've helped me connect to what's most important in the fifth step, which is integrity, honesty, and connection. That's when I realized I was human that's when that's when I realized those words came true that we hear in the in the twelve and twelve a worker among workers, you know friend among friends, you know, you guys know what line I'm talking about. That that was my experience. I was connecting with another person. It's funny. This is kind of sort of a a joke, but it it, it, you hear as many fifth steps as I have. And and I say that as, as, as humble as as I can, because there's no prize here. I'm just always still worried about what you're going to think. But, but the point is as many fifth steps as I've heard, it, it like makes me that much more compassionate. And when you start being in AA for a while and you're around and all of a sudden you're sponsoring someone who's a Spanish professor when, when you can barely show up for your Spanish class or, or you start working with someone who is in the FBI and you're running from, you know, from police all your life. Or when you start working with like different classes, professional baseball players, you know, when you're sponsoring these kind of people and you see in their fifth step that they have the exact. Same defects that you have, they made the exact same mistakes that you have, and they also have the same successes you have. Then that macro becomes micro. And, and and here's the biggest realization I have. And I talk about this all the time. If you've ever been in any workshop I do, there is no difference between me and Dr. Bob and Bill W. There isn't. And it's important to say that. And some people may not want to hear that. What I mean when I say that is I drank like Bill, I thought like Bill. I got sober like Bill, and that's what this program is about. If you want to tell me Bill's a better lawyer than me, that's fine. If you want to tell tell me that Bill would write a book that I never could write, that's fine. That's not my position. What I'm trying to say is, if we start thinking the big book is a novel, or if we start putting our our co-founders on pedestals and making them messiahs, then we don't need to do any work. We could just sit back and worship people. I'm not interested in that. It's going to get me drunk. I'm interested in in helping as many alcoholics as I can. I'm I have a sincere desire to be useful, and I want to learn what Bill and Dr. Bob and the pioneers did well, and I want to learn what they didn't do well, because trust me, there's things they haven't done well, and I ask my sponsees all the time, almost like a customer service survey, like, hey, what's working, what's not? You, you have any information for me, and and if I am working with a sponsee, and and, and again, I know I've kind of elevated to step 12 here, but, but if there is a, if we do, quote, unquote, move on from each other, I kind of, I try to have like an exit interview kind of thing, like What's working, what's not, you know, because I, I always want to grow and learn because if I'm standing still, then I'm going to get drunk. That's my experience. Um, fourth and fifth step, you know, there was a guy down in South Florida years ago. He was he was old timer, old timer, old timer. And when I say old I'm I'm talking elder in age, but also many, many years of sobriety. And he would talk about, you know, I don't understand what this thing is like. I have to go back through the steps again. How come everybody, and this was probably like late 90s, early 2000s, he's like, why is everybody saying I got to go back through the steps again? I got to work my steps again. He's like, you go through the steps once and you live them. And, and I, again, I'm not here to debate. I'm just saying he's got a good point. If you're going back through the steps again, and all, that's fine. Again, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in arguing with anybody. I'm just saying he's got a good point. I need, to, I need to go through these steps. I need to embrace these steps, and I need to live these steps. And, and if I'm going to go back through a book and I want to learn something, you know, I hope I'm learning about the principle and not who has the coolest note on the side of the book, you know, or who has the coolest reference to a history. I hope I'm learning the principle and I'm staying focused on, on, you know, the purpose of the book and, and the purpose. My sponsor says all the time, we get in the book to get out of the book. We're not trying to stay stuck in that book. You know, it, it's a set of instructions for sure. It's certainly part of who we are. But we get in there to live it and and, and move on. The, the point of that long-winded segment there was steps four and five is something I, I have to live every day. Even though I'm not sitting down with, you know, four legal pads every day, and even though I'm not sitting down for 48 hours every week doing a fifth step, the principle of consistently taking my inventory and looking at my side of the street and discussing with God and another person. We find those in our later steps to begin with, but it's something I should keep with me on a consistent basis, and sometimes it's as simple as a conversation with my wife, or, or sometimes it needs to be a little deeper with my sponsor or someone else in the, in the committee if my sponsor is not available, and, you know, I have to live that principle. Um, sorry to jump around. I don't know how rigid the group is as far as going off another step, but, you know, in our 11th step, uh, there's one thing in there, the most important question of all of AA, in my opinion. Are we keeping something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? There's nothing more important than that question. And the the fundamental basic idea of that question in my experience comes from what we learned in, in steps four and five. That I cannot hide anymore. I, 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 I cannot deceive, I cannot manipulate, I cannot be mean spirited. And God forbid I do because I am human. I need to correct that right away. And I need to not keep it a secret. And I've learned. You know, I've been in A long enough that we have all these little, you know, qualms, uh, recovered versus recovering, you know, old timers versus not. We have a choice. We don't have a choice. They've all these things we love to argue about in AA, which is wonderful because it means we care. I will tell you, though, I hated cliches. I hated them. It was on the resentment list. But I, I I, still, it still rubs me. I laugh about it today, but it still rubs me the wrong way, cliches. Like, I just but. But the old timers were right when they said, you're as sick as your secrets, because that's my experience. If, if I have secrets, it's owning me. And, and I think about what I learned in that four step and how long I sat on my resentment for my father and how that owned me. My father, even though I only met him five times in my life, he dressed me every day. He, he told me how to talk. He told me how to act. He told me how to treat women. He told me how to talk to men. And I never even talked to the guy. What I mean by that metaphor is he owned me. He was swirling around my head. I was doubting myself. I was insecure, like all of that, because I didn't want to, you know, talk about that, own that, heal from that, make amends, you know, stuff of that sort. So, the principle of four and five. The point is, I have to take with me uh, all the time in in all my experience. I think uh, I think I just re- we're starting to tick tock tick tock here, but I just think. Um, a line that is very useful um, at the very end of the chapter on page 71 in our big book, it, it talks about if you have made a decision, in my experience, you know, your third step, and an inventory, you know, doing your fourth step, of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. And the reason I like that line, even though it doesn't hit you between the eyes and it's not like you know super you know powerful, is it's so true that this is just the beginning. And if we fast forward a little bit, and we get to the amends, and we talk about a long road of reconstruction ahead, like, I I don't know how to, you know, I'm not good with the therapy talk, but like, I had to forgive myself also, and I had to be patient. And I had to understand this was just the beginning. Looking back then, um, knowing now, like I was so broken. Most by my own self post crisis, but some by how how I grew up. I was so broken, but it's about sincerity and willingness. And I know if you're like me in here, it's not gonna all go away tomorrow and it's certainly not gonna all get better immediately after an inventory. But if I make a decision and I take an inventory, I've made a beginning and I'm on my way and I can continue to grow. And as I'm sure others here over the next coming weeks, we'll, we'll talk about the other steps, those other steps also put us in that position to heal and never have to look back. I mean, I'll just, I'll just end real quick with, I mean, to be free from the mental obsession, to know and understand, I don't have a choice today to understand uh, a vision for you that the, the person who is still sick is also me and to understand that I'm not different than anyone else in the rooms of AA. And I wanna connect with everyone in the rooms of AA. And I wanna be open and honest, is complete opposite of how I grew up and, and what I saw and what my thinking says. And and this is a design for living that works. And I can't imagine, I I, 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 I can't imagine if I didn't have steps four and five, that I have any chance of, of sobriety, let alone um, like true freedom and growth of, of where I am today. So uh, thank you for letting me share my experience, Dreads and Hope. It's always an honor to bring purpose to to my previous misery, so thank you.